listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Hello, Canada, coast to coast to coast. Good to be here. I'm Evan Solomon. I'm here with my dear friend, Samantha Pope, Chris Viss, a.k.a. The Bear. We are all here to serve but we don't protect. We just serve. We will have we have a great show lined up. Oh yes, we do. Uh, you know, whenever we get an opportunity to talk to the great soccer star, maybe the legend, uh, Christine Sinclair, um, who's played in four Olympics and Olympic gold medalist and two-time bronze medalist, uh, Christine wants to jump on the show. Uh, she does this annual thing in support of a very good cause, MS. Uh, research, which her uh, key member of her family. And so we want to give platform to Christine Sinclair. Why? Because Sam and I love Christine Sinclair. And you do too. Why? Because, uh, oh, legendary athlete wants to come on and chit-chat and shoot the crap. Yeah. That's our theory of the big show. It's like a two-hour car ride. And if you were driving, if you're in your car right now and I said, hey, pull over at that stoplight, the gold medalist and the greatest living soccer player in our history wants to jump in for nine minutes. Can you give her a lift? You'd be like, yeah, I'd give Christine Sinclair a lift. We will too. Christine wants to jump in the car. So we'll, 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 we'll let Christine in the car. Why? Because what the hell? I'd let her drive. Uh, it is uh, Wednesday, so the war room, Powers, Mulcair, and Velgi are back. Love that. Now, here's an interesting one that's coming up on the big show today. During the trucker protest in Ottawa and in Windsor, I broke a story that the former chief of staff to the Ontario Premier, Doug Ford, is trying to lead a back-channel negotiation between the mayor of Ottawa and the uh, so-called protesters. And I confronted the mayor, and we broke the story and uh, it didn't work out, and it was a big issue. Um, and now that the Emergencies Act is under, and the invocation of it is under investigation, as it is by law, like after, uh, you know, the law is if a government invokes the Emergencies Act, there is a year of hearings about it. That's the law, so it's good that it's, uh, But we know that just before the Emergencies Act, we heard maybe there was a possible breakthrough there's lots of conflicting issues. There's another report out today that um, security services warned the government that there could be a tax afterwards. Dean French wants to jump on. And he sent me a note and he said, hey, I'd love to jump on the show to talk about the back channel. Was there a potential breakthrough that could have prevented the use of the Emergencies Act? Well, Dean French says, yeah, well, I'm gonna, I want to talk about that with you. So Dean is going to jump on the show with us today. Car is getting crowded. And finally, before I get to my opening rant, you know who else is going to... Well, now, he's going to come in the, in, in the, as it were, the metaphorical car. But this is something that's... I don't know if you know about free diving, these people that dive off and they dive as deep into the ocean as possible. And they're not wearing any equipment, right? They're just free divers. Just a mask, no scuba gear. And they go down for like three minutes plus. And they go down to, get this, 120 meters 
You know when you dive down in a pool and your ears pop in the deep end? Well, Arnaud Gérald is a French free diver who just broke, broke the world's record for the deepest free dive. Now he uses bifins, which are like basically flippers. He dove 120 meters. He stayed underwater for three minutes and 34 seconds. I honestly had this idea for the show today to give you a sense of it is for me to stop talking, which my wife says is impossible for three minutes and 34 seconds to give you a sense of how long it would be to hold your breath while you're diving for three minutes and 34 seconds. First of all, you couldn't do it. And if to try to even hold your breath for a minute, let alone a minute and a half, let alone three minutes or 34 seconds, let alone under tremendous pressure is outrageous. People die doing this, but the 26 year old is going to resurface and join us on the program after he broke the world record. How excited am I to speak to a guy that can do this? Ridiculously excited. And here's why any, the thing I love about the the thing that keeps me optimistic about humanity in the face of so much political cynicism is when human beings defy our limits. When people do things better than anyone's ever done it, when they show the, all of us that there are no limits to what we do. Christine Sinclair, she's just better at soccer than anyone. She defies the limits that awakens me to the optimism of the human condition in the wake of so much crap, cynicism, depression, when I hear the worst of humanity taking over. The worst are full of that passionate intensity, as Yates likes to say. And the best lack all conviction. When there's so much reason to give up, when we see so much lying and cynicism, so much negativity, so much hatred, so much anger, so much crap, and then someone like some rainbow, like some flower in a field of weeds pops up like a Christine Sinclair and says, hey, by the way, hum- human beings are incredible. We can do things that will blow your... That's why I watch sports. So most people do, right? To see people do things really well. To lift you out of your seat and say, my God, it's a good world. People say, why do you want sports? They're all highly paid, cynical athletes. They just, they'll just go to the highest price. They're just a bunch of spoiled rotten. No, what you missed the point. Great athletes are like, you know, we're apex human performers. We're doing the best. And it lifts you off your butt. And makes you stand up and it opens your peripheral vision to the childlike wonder of this beautiful thing we call our humanity. Christine Sinclair does it. And this French freediver, even if you never heard of French freediving, this guy's underwater for three minutes and 34 seconds at 120 meters. And he's holding his breath and he's swimming like crazy and he's surviving. And that, I just, I, can you tell? That lifts me up. Human beings are capable of awesome evil. Look at what the Russians are doing in Ukraine. Off, awesome cynicism, awesome bedeviling behaviors and hate. But we are also capable of unbelievably inspirational acts of courage and humanity and performance. And we're going to get a bit of that on the show today. 
Now, I got two minutes here, and I just want to tell you something real quick. Yesterday, I don't want to let this go because I think it's important. Yesterday, we covered the hearings on the alleged political interference into the 2020 mass shooting in Nova Scotia where 22 beautiful Canadians lost their lives to a mass murderer over 13 hours. And the RCMP alleges two officers, Superintendent Campbell and a senior political officer, Scanlon, testified yesterday that they believe that the commissioner of the RCMP was politically pressuring them to reveal the weapon early in the investigation that the killer used in order to serve the agenda of the federal government, that she was being pressured by then emergency minister Bill Blair. Lucky denies it and Blair denies it. But I want to tell you this. Yesterday, the chief superintendent, Darren Campbell, stands by his notes from April 28th, the 2020 meeting, where he says Lucky pressured him. And he said he was sad and disappointed and was trying to bulldoze him. And Scanlon backed him up. And my question to you is now what happens? Here's what I'll say in the last 20 seconds of my opening. Do not drop this. The very heart of what makes me optimistic about democracy is the ability to defend the lines. And the lines are a free judicial system and a police force that acts independently. And you cross those lines government and Brenda Lucky, you jeopardize our democracy. We'll talk more about it. Time in your car doesn't have to be time wasted. Join the evolution of talk radio. This is The Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back to the big show. Christine Sinclair, 20 seasons with the national team, five FIFA Women's World Cups. Five World Cups? 2003, 2007, 2011, 2015, 2019. Like, she's a winner. Four Olympic football tournaments. Three championships with three different professional teams. Canada's Walk of Fame. Order of Canada. Best FIFA Special Award. All-time leading scorer. The Burnaby British Columbia soccer star is an incredible athlete and a great person. And normally we only talk to athletes when they do some great athletic achievement. But Christine, who's been on the show many times, is also trying to beat MS Day in support of MS Research to celebrate A&W Canada's 14th annual Burgers to Beat MS Day. And the reason she's part of this uh, Burgers to Beat MS Day for the 14th year 
We're, by the way, for every teen burger sold at Burgers to Beat, uh, $2 is donated to Multiple Sclerosis Society of Canada. So kudos to A&W for supporting this. Is because she's got a family member who deals with MS. By the way, I have family members in my extended family, cousins, that do. I know it. I see what it does. And this is an important day. And they're trying to raise more than a million and a half bucks. And she's done it for a long time. And actually, her now, now I think Christine's line is down. I don't think she's on the line. We just lost her. Do we? Do we? Okay. The crazy thing is, Christine, who's the most reliable person, is not on the line. Which is hilarious, as I've just done one of the great intros to the great Christine, because I love Christine. And uh, all of a sudden, we're getting a line issue with Christine, which is too bad. Okay, well, when we try to reach Christine Sinclair, we will. But let me open up the phone lines, and I'll ask you two questions here. one 1010 as we wait for Christine. one 1010 or 71010. Is there one athlete that you love? Now, I am always hesitant to elevate athletes to, you know, heroes because they're athletes. But, and number two, do you think it's important for athletes to be associated with causes? Is it just like MS or what about political causes? Should the athletes that you admire use their platform to to make change. 7101855633101010. There's some issue with Christine Sinclair. And don't worry, we'll get to the bottom of it in a second. Welcome to live radio, which we don't mind. We love it when, when our callers call in. My take is yes, I want, look, when I, my hero growing up was Muhammad Ali. I read every book about him, he was so charismatic. I loved everything about him. But what I admired about him is he put it on the line for what he believed in. He was stripped of his title because of the Vietnam War. He was in the civil rights movement. Not everything he said I agree with. But he was a hero to me. I loved Michael Jordan as an athlete. I did not admire him as a player because I didn't think he used his platform to stand for anything but Michael Jordan and selling shoes. Now, I believe me, I watched The Last Dance. I, I, that guy's an incredible person, and he was dealing with a lot more. But I don't think he ever used his platform enough. I like LeBron James. LeBron stands for stuff. I really love LeBron. He calls it out. He puts it on the line more. I wish more hockey players did that. They don't. Hockey players aren't very... Vocal about that, the way basketball players are. Some football, you know where I stand on Colin Kaepernick. Right call. Use the platform. And by the way, you don't always have to make it politically controversial. T.J. Watt has done incredible things in Texas for communities. Lots of athletes have. And I think that's fantastic. So I don't. I like when athletes use their platform. 
And I think that's a good thing. one 1010 or 71010. And that's why I like Christine Sinclair. And I don't mind if they're associated with some company. If they can make the companies. Look, I'm not anti-corporate. Corporations do good things. They give to charities. They should. The corporate charter is something society bestows on companies and they get tax breaks for it. In return, they got it to have some social responsibility. I don't mind that. Seems reasonable to me. Pay less tax. Do more for society. They're hiring people. So I don't mind when an athlete teams up to do some good. Bruce and Bob Cajun, what's up? Bruce, are you there? Maybe Bruce is not there. How about Mike in Cambridge? Mike, are you there? Do we have a phone line issue today? Because I had something. I got Mike in Cambridge on the line. I got Bruce and Bob Cajun. Uh, are we getting anything, guys? Because I know they're on the line. I can see them. Something's not being sent down. Maybe this is the Christine Sinclair issue. Because I can't get Mike and I can't get Bob and I can't get Bruce and I can't get Christine. This is super live radio now, folks. Evan, Roger Federer, great person. You can text me at 71010. Maybe you got to reach me. I, 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 I apologize. We're clearly having a technical meltdown here on a Wednesday. Roger Federer, great person on and off the court. Most beautiful player to watch. Um... Don't make me talk about Roger Federer. Don't. Because if I start, I will not stop. And then my wife will phone and say, hey, remember, you're married, and I know you're in love with Roger Federer, and I know he's great, and it's going to be creepy, and people will think, like, that guy really loves that guy. It's like when I talk about, like, Tom Brady or Roger Federer, and then, like, someone will start playing Dream Weaver. And, and then people are like, is that guy, he's, he's obsessed. Yes, I think Roger Federer is one of the greatest athletes of all time, and I love that guy. And great. So, so I totally agree with you, but I could go on an operatic aria of uh, love. I hope he gets back on the court. I hear you, Evan, but what about an athlete who stands up on the other side of your thoughts, like supporting Trump? I don't mind that. I don't have to agree with athletes. My job is not to, I only like, I may not like what an athlete speaks about. I may not like their politics. But sure, go for it. You want to do that? That's, I don't mind that. I don't mind that. Now, there's a price to be paid. Once you're an athlete and you want to, you know, I I hate that stay in your lane, just bounce the basketball, just use the puck. Once you're out of your lane and in politics, it's a free ball. You don't get a halo. Your halo comes off. Roger Federer, LeBron James, anybody that supports left or right causes, you will then be subjected to the very same rules of political debate as anybody else. You want to play in that field? It's like... Michael Jordan wants to play baseball. You're one of the greatest athletes of all time. But a pitcher's going to throw hard pitches. They're not saying, hey, well, let's give him a softball pitch because now he's a great athlete and he's playing baseball. Once you're on a different pitch, those athletes better get their game face on because we're coming for you the way we come for anyone else. You should ask tough questions, and they should not, we should not be deferential. So, yeah, I don't mind if they're on a different side. But get your game face on. Answer the questions. Stand up for it. Risk your endorsements. I get it's risky. That's what I admire about it. But get your game face on. Billie Jean King did it. Arthur Ashe did it. 
it matters. All right, uh, we're going to sort out our tech issues. Take a break. Strong views, powerful opinions. The Evan Solomon Show continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back to the big show. We have fixed our technical difficulties. We can speak again. We can communicate. And so with that in mind, because I wanted a dialogue, not a monologue, I'll give you some updates in the spirit of transparency. Christine Sinclair will now join us tomorrow. And your calls on, do you support athletes? Do you like athletes who stand for a cause or a political cause, even if you disagree with it? Or should they, quote, stay in their lane? Should they use their platform? Should they only use it for like, hey, you know, I'm support MS research like Christine or, you know, cancer research? Or what about when they stray like Colin Kaepernick or someone said, well, what about someone who supports Donald Trump? Evan, I say, welcome to the debate. I love that you use your platform. But when you enter this arena, don't expect to be treated with any deference because of your athletic achievements on the ice, on the field, on the pitch, on the court. You are now in the game, so get ready. And I don't mind that. Do not expect deference. 1-855-633-1010 or 7-1010. I love Billie Jean King. She stood up for women in sports, and now female tennis players are the highest-paid female athletes in the world because of Billie Jean King, because she made a difference. Now, a lot of you called me last time at one 855 and you couldn't get through. But now you can. Now you can. So if some of our former callers like Bruce want to call back, Go. Uh, I think Matt is still there. Matt, uh, I think we can connect with you now. Matt, what's up? No, this is Mike. Oh, Mike. How you doing? Yeah. Oh, just great, Evan. Yeah, uh, to me, uh, the the greatest of all time, he called himself the greatest for good reason, was Muhammad Ali. There's a man who stepped outside of the ring. He stuck his nose into politics because he believed he paid a price for it. He was stripped of his title, stripped of his uh, license to fight. And uh, he made a difference. And he was such a magnificent athlete. I mean, uh, this is maybe before your time, but I mean, I remember him from the 60s and 70s. And his speed and, and also his wit, his, his mind was as fast as his hands and feet. I just adored the man. I love him. Um, I've read multiple books about um, Muhammad Ali. I've probably watched every single one of his fights. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, we used to listen. When I was really young, my my father's mom lived in a home, and we'd visit her every Saturday in Toronto. And there's a black and white TV set, and and back then, you remember that wide world of sports and all. But boxing was on, and there my my dad's the youngest of eight, so there's always a huge family gathering around her bedside. And she had had a stroke, so she was out of it. But boxing was always on. 
and we watched a lot. And I love boxing. My dad was uh, like to box in university, and I love I love the sport. And I became obsessed with Muhammad Ali. And I have seen every. And you're right. He changed multiple times. He stood for things, but the speed he had, the wit he had, his his genius, his political awareness, his his brilliance. I, I just watched a 22 minute television special that he was on with the Mike Douglas show. Do you remember the Mike Douglas show when he had daytime TV? And it was kind of amazing. Muhammad Ali went on there and he was speaking about things uh, in his community that he could be speaking about now. I, I, I'm with you. He's the greatest. Mike, that's a great call. Uh, Shane, what's up? I'm here. How you doing, Shane? What, what's your take on this? Yeah, okay. Well, uh, you know, I don't mind if uh, uh, sports guys want to give their opinion. If I want to hear political opinions, usually I watch the news. If I see them on a news program, but I think, like, I'm really, I'm just a hockey fan, and I want to watch sports. I don't really want to hear their opinions. But if they have one, they're fine to have one. Get on a news program. Let me hear what you have to say. But I think if I'm watching a, a sports event, I really don't want to hear their opinions. I understand everyone has one. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I, I would tell you this. The bar is high for an athlete, right? You better be a bloody good athlete on the pitch, on the ice, on the field, if you, you want us to listen to your opinion, right? Because that's why you have the platform. And I'm yeah, with right. you. And, and by the way, I'm not there to go to a game to hear politics. I'm there to be lifted off my seat and yeah, inspired. Like and inspired. Things, you know, they use their voice, raise money. That's great. You know, everyone wants to hear about that. But sometimes people pick their lane. I won't tell you which lane I'm in because it doesn't matter. But, but Colin Kaepernick was interesting. A, a political like, opinion, and there's shows that I can watch to get that. Yeah, but, you know, it was interesting. Remember when Colin Kaepernick knelt, and that was so political, when he knelt before the national anthem because and, – and actually, I, I respected him for it. As long as you get on the field and play. Yeah, and yeah, he paid yeah. – and the other thing I respect about it, again, it doesn't – you don't have to agree with it. He – paid a price and i admire someone that pays a price someone just said to me and i'll get your opinion on this what about novak Djokovic taking a stand against vaccines evan i disagree with by the way said this this caller but he did that i'll tell you the thing i look i disagree with Djokovic's position on vaccines and i thought he was reckless about it but i do admire him on this he believed it He's paid a price for it. By the way, I think the U.S. is ridiculously wrong to ban him from the U.S. Open for not being vaccinated. Now, I think 2022, uh, August and September is a different world than two years ago. So I have no problem saying it was a different world a year and a half ago in the midst of the pandemic. But so I think they're, they're crazy to ban him now. But he is a man of his convictions. I think he's wrong, but I admire the fact that he's willing to pay the price, don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 they shouldn't have banned him, no, but... Uh... Yeah, like I said, they do good things. Everyone wants to see them do good things. But sometimes you, when you're watching the game, you know, they have those little sidelines. Keep your opinions to yourself. You can go on a news program. There's all kinds of them. Yeah. They'll have you on there, and you can have at it. Well, I appreciate that. Um, let me read a text and go to a last caller. My favorite athletes are my sister, my brother-in-law, my niece, and my nephew. They're active. They're involved in their community. They encourage healthy lifestyles. Who said athletes need million-dollar salaries to be heroes? Great point. Uh, usually it's your community that are your role models. But let's be, let's be clear. Uh, they don't have the same platform as some of these athletes. Uh, now, this is a really interesting call, and I want to take it up. 
and and I got uh, Rico on the line. Rico, what's up? Hey, Evan. Uh, I uh, I greatly admire Theo Fleury, especially after reading his book. But I find it very disturbing that he had to go on to a U.S. media outlet with Tucker Carlson to talk about New World Order and global tyranny. And I would like to know if you might consider having him on your show. He's not just opinionated, he's very educated on that opinion. Yeah, let me give you my view, and, and I've spoken in the past to Theo Fleury. Um, um, I watched him as a hockey player. Um, I, I've read his book. I know his the work he's done um, for addiction and sexual abuse, and his story is remarkable. And I think that's totally fair. But this goes back to my original point. Once you enter the political ring, I think Theo Fleury's views, conspiracy views on the world order, I think his views on vaccines are uneducated. I think they're, um, they don't have any merit. And I'm happy to debate him uh, on those things. I really don't like giving a guy a platform who I really think he doesn't know what he's talking about on those things. And I've read it and I'm trying to take him seriously. I don't. And I actually think he's said some very dangerous things that are not fact-based at all. He has no facts on it. So I'm not going to disrespect Theo Fleury's work that he does to advocate for mental health. But on the political side, I'm sorry, not, you know, I don't think he's got any factual basis for some of the very outrageous things he said. I, I'm being candid about it. Evan? Hello? Hi. Yeah, Rico, you're still here. Rico, uh, Rico, you're there. Rico, Rico, can you hear me? Hello? Guys, where's Rico? Please don't think we've silenced Rico, everyone, because he's talking about Theo Fleury. I wanted to have Rico on the conversation. Um, but I don't mind talking about the, the Theo Fleury stuff. But Rico, I, I, I call me back. Uh, I'm here. This is not, there's no conspiracy here. one 1010 Rico, happy to chat it up. We got to take a break. Where you meet the people behind the story. It's the Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back to the program. Uh, I don't like to cut people off. I know we've had technical difficulties. And before the break, we were talking about athletes. And do we like athletes who use their platform for political reasons? And um, I do. But my standard is this. Once you're in the political ring, okay, but you're going to be subjected to the very same standards that we'd hold a politician to. You're out of your lane. You're not, this might not be the thing that got you famous because you're, you're not, you know, you're a doctor or a politician. You're a great athlete, but now you're using it to advocate for things. Now, Rico was on the line and I, and I told you I, I never hang up on people unless they're spewing racism or, or, or some kind of hate. But, um, Rico was saying, Hey, Evan, what about, Theo Fleury, he's on Fox News, he's on with Tucker Carlson, um, and I said, look, I admire his hockey career, it's a great hockey career, he was abused by Graham James, the horrific hockey coach, we, a subject I've covered a lot, and spoken to other victims of Graham James, and he's done 
good work on that, and I respect that. But, of course, he's become a very outspoken political activist against vaccines, and I don't think he makes any sense. I think he spews a lot of uh, senseless conspiracy theories uh, that don't make sense. But, Rico, I wanted to give you a chance to respond and and, um, to have a fair, open dialogue about it. Rico. Hey, Evan, thank you for reconnecting. Um, What I would ask, and it's within my means to get Theo on, on the show with you, could we arrange to do that? Well, I got to know for what reason. Um, I'm, I'm always happy to have guests on, and we, we certainly can to, negotiate. To let that. them explain his views that are are being a little bit maligned, and uh, I'd like to I'd like to uh, let your audience have an opportunity to hear him talk that way. Well, what, to, well, to, what views is he going to tell me that ivermectin is a good uh, drug against? Um, like he's promoted ivermectin as a drug against COVID. You know, there's no evidence about that. Is he going to say um, what he's doing? Let, let me I just would say. Contend that Dr. Peter McCullough's treated over but, 2, yeah, people. But, successfully. but it's not. I'm not. I'm not here. I'm not, you. Are you a doctor? Because I'm not. I, I'm going to go with. No, but I've interviewed 20 odd. I, I and, listen. I, listen. I I'm not. I'm, but but, I, but I, yeah. Look. I, on this note, I have gone with every medical. Um, the, either in the U.S., the CDC, or here in Canada, there is not evidence that ivermectin is useful against COVID. So I'm not going to have that debate. So I'm not inviting him on to on ivermectin. I'm also not going to invite him on when he said on Tucker Carlson, the World Economic Forum is in Canada and running our country and running the Great Reset, whatever you want to call it. It's being played out that we're involved in some um, communist globalist agenda, which I'm using his words. I don't believe that. I don't think there's any evidence of that. I think that's a dangerous conspiracy theory of which there's no evidence. So no, I'm not interested in that discussion because I don't think it's helpful. But what else does he want to talk about? Klaus Schwab we've infiltrated. You're taking a clip from... the, the clip from Klaus Schwab, this is a... They don't have anything to do with our do you think that, let me ask you, do you think Stephen Harper, who went to the World Economic Forum, was infiltrated by Klaus Schwab? Do you think John Baird, who went multiple times, was influenced by, come on, these, the World Economic Forum is a gathering. It's a meeting. They have no legislative power. You're taking a clip in order to make a conspiracy. So, no, I'm sorry. I, don't, I want to deal with reality. Okay. We have Evan, a government, just a second, just lastly, we man, have a government man. that needs to be held to account. Like, at the beginning of my show, was there political interference in the biggest mass shooting? And there's evidence from RCMP that there was. I will hold our government's feet to the hard fire on that if they politically interfered. There's an inflation crisis here. There is all sorts of legislation here. I'm not going to go chase white rabbits down some hole because of a clip from Klaus Schwab of whom has no relevance to the day-to-day lives of Canadians struggling to make a difference. I'm sorry. It's a complete distraction. Go ahead. Fair, fair enough, Evan. But I mean, uh, I, I wanted to come on earlier and talk talk about the pol- politics of Don Cherry, but your your uh, producer didn't feel that he was an athlete, and I beg to differ, as do anybody as anybody that knows the game of hockey. Look, do we talk about Don? I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like we're doing the History Channel. Don Cherry played in the minor leagues; was a great coach. I met Don Cherry. Um, he got fired. That was a controversial decision. Um, but but I don't like. Are we still debating Don? Like I mean, I, look, we can do the History Channel here. I try to do current events because it's news talk radio. It's not news History Channel. But what's the deal with Don Cherry? You still want to relitigate Don Cherry? Like he's? Do you think Don Cherry? This guy had a platform for twenty, thirty years. This guy has more platform than anyone on the planet. He's not a victim. Well, he he was a victim of being canceled, and it was over basic basically wearing a poppy on Remembrance Day. 
So who can argue with that? Well, well, that's not why. He was fired because of what he said, some words he said, and I'm not going to relitigate whether it was, but corporations make decisions all the time. Like, let's not, let's be clear. The idea, and I've said this before, Rico, and I'm happy, I, you know, I'm giving you a lot of time here and, and, and for a caller, but I think it's important. I'm not afraid of these discussions. I think it's, it merits a conversation. But, you know, what I don't like is this notion that everyone's a victim of some big dark force. Corporations can make decisions to fire or hire people, and they may be good or they may be bad. There are private corporations or public corporations that may do that for their brand, and they'll pay a price. If it's a stupid thing or it's a good thing, the audience can pay a price. And there's All very we need div- to do uh, is ask Lise LaFlam. Sure. Look, those are... Rico, I'm not afraid of these discussions. These are decisions that companies make that people disagree and agree with all the time. You're 100% right. And audiences can, can, can make their decisions all the time. But it's not a conspiracy theory. It's not doesn't show that there's some deep state flicking the buttons here and that everyone else is a victim. I just don't buy that, that helpless victimized narrative. That's all. Evan, if conspiracies didn't exist... Judas could have said, I won these coins at the slots. Yeah, all right. Well, listen, Rico, I think I've given you plenty of time. I, I, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I'm, look, that's just not, it's just called a faulty logical argument. When you say, hey, there has been a conspiracy in the past, therefore all these other conspiracies therefore are valid. That is a, that's actually a logical fallacy. It's like saying, hey, there was a robbery in the past, therefore my accusation that you robbed my house must be true. It may not be true. You have to have evidence. No, we have to, it, it's, a, it's a, a, yes, that's not a straw man. You just brought up Judas and you're talking about to, as somehow that legitimizes Theron Fleury's theory that the World Economic Forum controls Canada, and it doesn't. There's no evidence of it. And trotting out a clip from a, a from a guy that no Canadian knows named Klaus Schwab, who runs the well, <laughs> a, a, a meeting about, in Switzerland, Christia is Freeland, bogus. Evan, Christia Freeland sits on the World Economic Forum. Does anybody know who she is? Does well? I ask you. You never answer the question. You like to ask him. Well, I guess Stephen Harper was part of the, your, your Schwab conspiracy theory. Stephen Harper must have been part of it because he used to go to the World Economic Forum and send all his ministers. I guess John. I didn't. Ba- I, didn't I didn't bring his name up, Evan. You did. Well, I, of course, because it's insane to suggest that he's part of some dark conspiracy involving Klaus Schwab. And he, it's no more insane to think that Christian Freeland or. Stephen Harper, and I appreciate the call today, Rico, are part of some hidden agenda. Anyway, I think this has been good. You know me. I, I, I love to have these discussions, um, and I'm just trying to follow the logic. One thing I really, you know, one of the things I go by is let's have the discussions, but let's adhere to facts, and let's adhere to reason. And by the way, let's have a respectful conversation like Rico and I just had. And Rico, I appreciate it. We'll take a break. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Welcome back to The uh, Big Show, and now, I feel like 
I'm blowing into the metaphorical conch shell to gather the troops they have gathered. Maybe it's kind of like the newsmen unite. And indeed, it is time for the late summer edition, the regathering of the superheroes of politics, the war room. Let me be perfectly clear. Putting out misinformation. And we hear that. Misleading politics. What's really important here. Spreading it online. Unequivocally. The War Room. Tim Powers, Chairman of Super Strategies, Managing Director of Abacus Data. Tom Mulcair, CTV political analyst and former NDP leader. St. Velge, political campaign strategist, partner in North Weather, formerly worked with the Calgary mayor in the Alberta. Hello, gentlemen. Oh, hey, Don't. Evan. I, I like that you're. I like that you haven't given up on trying new ways to intro us. This is what I like: is is that you haven't rested on no. your laurels, Evan. You're, you're, yeah, I'm going to say the, the wolf in, whistle or whatever that was in my um, uh, summertime heat wanderings. I was working on my conch shell impression for a long time. And, and I was thinking to myself, Tom Mulcair has been introduced across this planet, but has he ever had a conch shell imitation? No, and the not, answer this is This is no. the first time. This is the, definitely the first time, right. and I'm so thrilled. By the way, I, I also want to mark this as the last time. <laughs> yeah, you didn't feel it? You didn't feel Did it? Because feel I didn't either. I didn't feel it either. I just wanted to let you know. I'm glad. I'm glad uh, page. Before we dig into the politics, let's talk because we are. We it's nice to regather. I'll start with you, Tim. How's the summer been, uh, Tim Powers? What's what's the news of the summer? How have you? Usually, Tim's like transformed on some kind of. He's like, I ran the mountains of Peru or something. <laughs> what 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 happened? <laughs> Well, uh, I enjoyed your story yesterday of the toilet seat. Uh, that was very good. By the way, I'm with you. You put the toilet seat up and then you put it down. That was quite entertaining. I know I did run this weekend in Tom's province, the Mont Tremblant Half Marathon. Nice. My hips are coming. My hips are coming back together nicely. <laughs> wow. And, and uh, taking a week off and another okay, week. Okay, so off you did the Mont half Tremblant. marathon. Uh, um, uh, politics of P. Also, probably more letters on that than anything else we've done. Uh, Tim, what was your time in the half marathon? Evan, it was a mountainous run, so it was only 2.06. But you know what? I was pleased with that. 2.06 is good. Okay, Tom Mulcair. Now, can you talk? <laughs> Usually Tom's done something. I know you, you might have some. You can go to the personal. You can go with the personal development. You can give us an update on the ponytail, anything. <laughs> well, I'll tell you that uh, Tim was in our neck of the woods because the whole family lives in the Laurentians. And uh, my older son, uh, Matt, who's been a police officer for well over 20 years, is now in charge of the police at Mont Tremblant. So you were in his ah. uh, bailiwick, Tim. So he okay. told me that everything went fine. He kept an eye on you, but he said it was fun. <laughs> He did say there was one guy straggling in at 2.06 the police were worried about. Uh, Zane... Well, that was 2.06 a.m. That, that was... <laughs> and, and, and now we get to the perambulations of Zane Velji. Zane. Uh, it just got back from uh, climbing the mountains of Peru. So, you know, it right. is uh, uh, the UK. I just got back actually last week. Um, first time for me spending some time in the United Kingdom. My wife uh, and her parents-in-law have some some history there, some time that they've spent there. So it was fun to see that place through my 
very touristy eyes as I dragged people to the UK Parliament tour, and then also through their eyes as they kind of showed me what a, a generation living there was uh, was like. Just imagine being married to Zane. Let's go on summer vacation to the center of power in London, and we'll go to see Westminster. That was fun. Uh, by the way, I did. By the way, the Peruvian mountain thing is not metaphoric. Tim has actually run the Machu Picchu marathon, so I just want to throw that out there in the in a spirit of machismo. Uh, how important, Tim? Well, I'll start with you since you're 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 the mountaineer here. Wow. Uh, I think it's the the testimony about allegations of political interference in what is the largest mass shooting in Canada. Canadian history in uh, April 2020 in Nova Scotia, Superintendent Campbell and and the communications officer of the RCMP, Scanlon, who essentially back up their testimony that they believe that the RCMP commissioner, Lucky, was trying to politically influence them at the behest of the liberals on their gun legislation to actually reveal information about the mass killer's weapon. I thought it was compelling, and I don't think we should let this drop. How significant is this and what should happen now? I entirely agree with you. I mean, look, uh, here's uh, Superintendent Campbell, who has stayed consistent to his word, uh, stood there uh, and talked about the oath he took 30 years ago and doesn't waver, uh, nor did, uh, did Leah Scanlon. I don't know how this can be dropped. It's not, you know, Brenda Lucky had appeared before that committee already. I think she's got to come back or, or Bill Blair. They've got to answer this. This does look like the political interference that um, that uh, that Superintendent Campbell alleges. It, this, this can't go away. I know the Conservatives brought it up again yesterday. I think Ra- Raquel Dancho was out tweeting about it and talking about it. And yes, it's the you know the last few weeks of summer, but th- this is substantive. This is serious, and this is problematic if what Superintendent Campbell says is true. Totally agree, and and, mm-hmm. and I think this is this burns down things. Um, uh, Mr. Mulcair, where you stand? Yeah, on? well, I'll say, Evan, that I've spent more time in opposition than in power. I was a minister for a few years in Quebec City, but I have to tell you that I know when an opposition is gelling and working well, and when it's not. And I have to say that going all all the way back to the We Charity scandal, I've been watching the Conservatives, and I've been watching them fall flat on their faces. They're, they're, they're so angry all the time. If your only pitch is a hard ball to the head, the batter just learns to step back from the plate. The liberals are brilliant at this stuff. I can remember Trudeau's chief of staff just gouging the, the conservatives who came at her in the We Charity scandal. And it was almost over from that day on. This one, I couldn't agree more with you. And I couldn't agree more with Tim that this is a really serious issue. And uh, Evan, I took note, you know, when you said, I don't think we should let this thing drop. We being people who comment and analyze and talk about this stuff in the media. I don't think that the opposition should let it drop. Now, their argument will be, well, come on, we've dragged them into parliamentary committee and we're doing all this stuff. But there's no liftoff. There's no heft. There's no structured approach to show exactly to the average Canadian why this is so serious. And at this stage, it's been around for weeks and weeks now. I think that most people are just giving it a pass. Yeah, and, and that's frankly the opposition's job, Zane, not to let this happen because it can't be like, oh, well, we said we didn't, they said we did, whatever. This, to me, is the very heart. When we talk about political cynicism, if people believe there's political interference with the work of the police and Tom's son's a police officer, that undermines the police, that undermines our, the foundations of our democracy. This, this is not partisan. This is fundamental. Oh, absolutely. And and when we get into the politics of the conservatives, there's some something quite interesting. Suppose we weren't in a conservative leadership race right now. 
We know exactly what they would be doing with this file. They'd have a guy named Pierre Polyevra who would be their pit bull spending 16 hours a day attacking the government on this file. It's frankly what he does. But now that he's running for leadership, he's got to have to spread it a bit thin with all the different messages and all the different areas that he has to cover. So it, it is quite interesting in terms of Tom's comment around why the conservatives haven't necessarily been able to, to get traction on here. When we talk about the details of it, you know, there's also this, this meta component to withholding information now because it is only recently that these notes by uh by Campbell were were introduced and they were not given to the committee uh, uh much earlier so there is opportunity here for us to not just try to keep extending the news cycle with nothing happening things are happening on this file in fact there is a meta component of uh, was there intrusion to perhaps holding these notes behind why were these not included initially why were they uh, redacted and not included as part of the uh, the the ongoing work of the committee so there is a real need to keep this story alive regardless of your partisan nature because uh, many people have written the conclusion that this is going to be lucky's fall not bill blair's fall I'm not so sure now. If if this story keeps going the direction that it is right now, Bill Blair might have to be looking at at what uh, you know exit points are available for him on this file, not just for the RCMP commissioner Lucky. I could tell you've been in England. Not only are you making cogent, well argued points, <laughs> oh, well, thank you, but you use the word meta <laughs> twice. So you're you're really dropping it. So there's a meta, a meta. People are like, I think there's enough steak on the plate that I don't need a meta steak. But okay, we got a meta component to this as well. Watch out when a scandal reaches meta component level, folks. You got problems. That's uh, that's the sauce on it. All right, let me take a break. I, I want to talk about inflation. Tim, you've talked about inflation being a government killer before. Uh, I want to talk about inflation is falling to 7.6. When you think that's good news and you're in the government, you got problems. And then I want to go to Alberta and Danielle Smith and the Alberta Sovereignty Act. Jason Kenney called it nuts. He might be right. Holding the politicians and pundits to account. Now more from the Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Inflation is at uh, 7.6% and that's down. That's ridiculous. That's big trouble for any government, including this one. And then you've got Alberta's about to have a new premier. And will it be Danielle Smith and her Alberta Sovereignty Act, which the current premier, Jason Kenney, has weighed in and called nuts. To talk about that and what the world's about to look like mid-September when there'll be a new conservative leader, hashtag Pierre Polyev, and that's my guess, and a new premier of um, Alberta, Danielle Smith, and inflation, Zane Velji. The war room is back. Zane Velji, Tom Mulcair, Tim Powers. Uh, let's start with uh, Tom this time, and and, and let's, let's talk, if we can... Uh, I mean, inflation is inflation. We'll get to that. But I really want to talk about, um, about you know, what the world is going to look like in September when likely we'll have a new political leader in uh, the Conservative Party and we'll have a new premier in Quebec. Does the political landscape in Canada, here we are sort of mid-August, change by mid-September? 
Well, I think that Legault's got this thing, unless something very unexpected happens, because he's in very much the same position that Doug Ford was in. Ford had an almost perfect split going into the election between the Liberals and the NDP. NDP wound up uh, getting official opposition status. For him, it was a romp. He just walked through this because he held on to his essential vote. Same thing with Legault. 40% is about his number, plus or minus two, depending on who's doing the polling. He got 37.4% last time and a solid majority. This time, it's going to be even easier for him because the Conservatives have have trundled into town and the Quebec Conservative Party is polling between 15 and 20%, depending on the region. So you've got this split between the Quebec Liberal Party, Dominique Anglade. She's had a rough time. She came in during the pandemic when Legault commanded every camera and microphone in the province, Evan, so it was easy for him. We've got Quebec Solidaire, a very hard-bitten left-wing party, very popular uh, in, in certain parts of Montreal, but more and more in the regions, you know, f- uh, dealing with issues like mining companies and smelters and like the, the people across Quebec are saying the government doesn't listen to us in Quebec City. We want to have somebody on our side. So this very strong left-leaning party is, is picking up a, a good head of steam. Parti Québécois is pretty well in for the high jump this time. I think that they're they're pretty well done. Uh, they might get one, perhaps two seats, but certainly no more than that. So that split amongst the, the opposition parties means that it should be relatively easy for Legault. He has dealt with inflation by giving out checks. He just posted numbers yesterday that would make any other provincial premier jealous. He, they said, oh, sorry, we just found that there's $4.7 billion right. in more revenue than, than we were expecting. So, and this has to be vetted. This is an, uh, an obligation before every election. So Long story short, I think you're going to still see Legault there unless something really unexpected happens. You're probably going to see Danielle Smith taking it in Alberta, which will, of course, have lots of champagne being popped in Rachel Notley's quarters because I don't think that Danielle Smith can hold on to this thing for very long. Well, let's talk about Danielle Smith. Uh, Zane, can you explain what the hell the Alberta Sovereignty Act is, why she's defending (laughs) it, why Jason Kenney calls it nuts, and why she's about to win? Well, let's start with the last question first. I mean, the last question is is really about the fact that she's been able to mobilize. She's been able to speak to where this united conservative base wants to be right now. And part of it is her engineering it to be there. But the other part of it is the remnants that got rid of Jason Kenney thought he wasn't conservative enough. Let's not forget that, that this Jason Kenney's now the moderate in Alberta politics. And anyone who remembers Jason Kenney from his federal scene, moderate was not a term used to describe Jason Kenney, to be absolutely clear. So the fact is she's met the moment they've met her. She's their candidate. And the and, and that plus membership sales, plus rhetoric that tried to position Alberta up against uh, Ottawa, any chance it gets is nothing new. But the fact that now she's saying the Sovereignty Act, which would ultimately let Alberta, frankly, override any sort of uh, federal legislation, any sort of federal laws, any sort of, you know, following of those laws, which is why we're using terms like, quote unquote, constitutional crisis here in Alberta and printing them in our newspapers and commenting about what what a lieutenant governor might do in that situation, uh, creates a situation for Smith where she can appeal to an increasingly small but mobilized base. And I think that becomes the massive question writ large in in Canada politics, certainly Alberta politics, which is mobilized minority versus a majority that doesn't want this thing, but is showing lethargic behavior, is showing the fact that they're kind of flabby about it, that they don't really care, are not willing to get up, protest it, fight against it. And so are we entering an era here with Alberta and perhaps Pierre Polyev at the front end of it, where mobilized minorities, vocal minorities, can dictate the future of provinces Mm. and, frankly, nations. 
Yeah, by the way, uh, when you say Lieutenant Governor, we say that. You say my mother-in-law. I just want people to know that. Right? Which yes, is, that is, that which is what is, I say. Right, because <laughs> yes. that is true. That is your mother-in-law. So I just like when you say, and everyone's wondering Thank what you. the Lieutenant Governor. Who knows? Who knows what, what she's Who talking about? She Who knows? Us, Who which knows? is nice. Which is, I just want people, we're disclosing all these things because yes, that's. Yes, I should have disclosed. But, but let's go 30,000 feet, Tim. Um, where where you got Lego? I because I spoke to a senior minister the other day in the um, Ontario government, and I was and who used to you know had uh, knows the federal party well, and they were very open, saying, "Look, we chose a different path in Ontario. We got a massive majority. We're pragmatic conservatives, but um, you know we 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 got rid of these anti-vaxxers in our party. We were tacking down the middle, and we've got a bigger majority. Uh, that's going to happen in Quebec as well as Tom Mulcair. And yet, you've got Alberta that looks like it's going to tack it significantly to the populist right under Danielle in ways that don't make any legal or logical sense to me. And then I don't know what your sense is on about Pierre Polyev if he does." end up winning it. But what's the world going to look like in four weeks? Well, a lot of angry people will be driving the trucks, but where are they going to drive them? Uh, are they going to blockade yeah, Ottawa exactly. again as the Sovereignty Act would, ha- would have you do? I mean, look, you can mobilize that anger, as Zane as well described, to get yourself elected. But what do you do next? I mean, it's been fascinating for me. Now, I haven't been in the bowels of, of Twitter. I haven't been quite on the holiday you've been on, but I've not been paying attention over the last little while. But my goodness, seems Pierre Polyev right now is awful quiet, and he's probably doing that for a number of reasons, including not wanting to uh, get himself in, in any particular pickle as votes are coming in, but maybe it's the beginning of a change going forward. I don't know if it's necessarily that, but, you know, suddenly uh, on September 11th and onward, Pierre Polyev's going to have to talk about a health care crisis. Well, if he talks about getting where, rid of the gatekeepers there, he's going to be into a debate around privatization. So does that mm-hmm. make be done yeah. differently? Yeah. Right? So I think they're going to win, as you say, Smith and, and Pierre. Um, the goes a different kettle of fish, as Tom's pointed out. He's He's, he's older, he's got better governance experience, um, he's had one or two kooky things, but generally he's been a good administrator and been successful that way. So Danielle Pierre and others who are driving anger are going to have to find out whether they're parking the vehicle or retrofitting it, uh, probably not an EV, mind you, uh, to go wherever they need to go to become victorious and stay in power. You know, in in a sense, you know, Pierre provided a bit of a preview for what Danielle could do as a political strategy. And I feel like Danielle, should she win, Smith, that is here in Alberta, could provide Pierre a bit of a preview in terms of what happens if you can't keep a coalition together or if that coalition isn't large enough. And and the real sort of ramifications in Alberta, and when Tom says he doesn't know if Danielle can hold this together, that means two things. Number one, can she win the next election? But perhaps more importantly, and, and certainly first, is can she keep this party together? And so yes. there's a bit of a preview element for Pierre in terms of Danielle's ability to make the tent broader, to you know calm down the rhetoric, to actually sound reasonable. Uh, and what happens when you can't do that and your runway is is short, not long, like unlike Pierre's? Yeah, Tom, last word. I got about a minute. We are in interesting times. We haven't faced something as important important for the average voter as this level of inflation for a whole long time. And what's fascinating is we're talking about sovereignty in Alberta. We're talking about language in Quebec. Boy, that's novel because the numbers out of StatsCan today, of course, are going to play right into Legault's hands with regard to the, the dropping of the number of people who use French at home, which is a serious concern here. So you can see that if 
if somebody's smart, they're going to be able to pick up the pieces around inflation and credit where credit is due. Poiliev was first in on the subject yeah, of yeah. inflation. He got roundly beaten up and he was pushing hard against Trudeau. Then he got into well, his leadership campaign. I think he's going to ride that hobby horse all the way to the next election. And I do think it's a, it's a pocket bush, book issue that has no left or right to it. Yeah, it's just I, the I, average he, Canadian voter. I, I think that's the main horse. <laughs> I mean, the old Clinton era, it's the economy yes, stupid. I yes. think for the right in, 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 in the U.S. now, it's the culture war stupid. I think that's a huge mistake if Canadians follow that. It is the economy. Uh, Zane. Tim, Tom, merci, thank you. We've got to take a break. We'll be right back. Where you meet the people behind the story, it's the Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. February 13th, 2022, the trucker convoy and the protesters are in Ottawa. I remember it well. I was on the streets every single day talking to people. And the very next day, Justin Trudeau and his government invoke for the first time the controversial use of the Emergencies Act. Well, now, as the law requires, there is a year long plus investigation into whether or not that was needed, how it was justified. And new documents first reported by the Toronto Star shows that on that very day, on February 13th, one of the senior advisors to Justin Trudeau, the National Security and Intelligence Advisor, told the Cabinet Committee making these decisions that there was a potential breakthrough, that there are negotiations going on between the City of Ottawa and the members of the convoy to come to some agreement. And during that time, I broke the story that The intermediary in that negotiation was Dean French. Dean French, of course, the former chief of staff to Premier Doug Ford in Ontario. And he'd been asked to be the intermediary. Ultimately, nothing happened. The the, uh, Emergencies Act was evoked. Was there a breakthrough? Well, the former chief of staff to the Ontario Premier, who led those back-channel negotiations between the city and the protesters back in February, Dean French, joins us now. Uh, Full disclosure, I've known Dean French, Dean, for how many years? Like 25 years? Evan, you're going to age us both. Probably, Yeah, you know what? Probably 25, just to be fair. Yeah, I've known Dean for a long time. So first of all, I hope you and the family are well. Dean, always good to talk to you. The cabinet documents, again, first reported by the Star, but others have reported it now, shows that there was, quote, a possible breakthrough and that though that even the the minister in charge, Marco Mendicino, was monitoring the city of Ottawa and the convoy, said ultimately it wasn't fruitful. Take us behind the scenes. Was there a breakthrough possible? For sure, Evan. Number one, certainly there was a breakthrough. And, you know, when the cabinet documents got released, it put a smile on my face because Five hours before that cabinet meeting on that Sunday night at, I guess, 8.30, five hours before that, your colleagues in the media had announced the agreement between between Tamara with the Freedom Convoy 2022 group, nonprofit incorporated group, the group that had the, the purse strings, between that group and Mayor Watson. Both Mayor Watson's letter and Tamara's letter were both distributed to the media at approximately 3.30, on the Sunday. So he didn't need a top security advisor to know that there had been not just a breakthrough, but an agreement. So um, that sort of um, 
really important to uh, to put that into into play. So I thought I'd start with uh, with that. Yes, but what was the breakthrough? Like, what was the agreement? Because I know that um, Mayor Watson um, had talked about that. I, in fact, but he said that he wants evidence before noon. He said, we've reached a back channel. I can even read you uh, part of what he said. He goes, the the truckers, uh, I I think this is uh, February 12th. The truckers here in Ottawa have always been about peaceful protest. This is from Tamara Leach. The Freedom Convoy Board agrees with your request to reduce pressure on residents, businesses. We've made a plan to consolidate our protest efforts around Parliament Hill. We'll be working hard uh, to get buy-in from the truckers. So she wasn't saying that it was going to end. She's saying we're going to consolidate. No, you want, Evan, you want, to, you want to finish up that same letter from, from Tamara. Mayor Watson had three conditions, which I represented back as a mediator to the truckers. She responded by agreeing to those three conditions. And I think the letter went on to say, in fact, I know it went on to say, and we'll start moving trucks on Monday morning which they did. Well, well, she and said this. I'll, I'll just read it. We will be working hard over the next 24 hours to get buy-in from truckers. We hope to start repositioning our trucks on Monday, repositioning to Parliament Hill. As stated in your letter, we work, look forward to working with authorities to ensure the safe movement of our trucks to their new location. So she was hoping to do that, but there you go. Okay. Yeah, sure, for sure. So, Evan, so let's take it from there. She was hoping to do that, and before, and not only was she hoping to do that, but the record will show, particularly in the upcoming inquiry, the record will show that dozens of trucks and at least two blocks of trucks were moved out of residential areas that day. That was one of my conditions personally to volunteer as a private citizen to do this and to work between the mayors, to go between the media with the truckers. Was I started the mediation by saying, look, guys, I don't agree with being in residential areas and blowing horns. I don't believe in it. Do I believe in peaceful protest in front on Wellington Street? Yeah, I do. But you, you have to start to make a move here. So um, they, they did do that. I think that's the missing piece of the story, Evan. In fact, before our interview today, I was curious because my notes had dozens of trucks moved on Monday morning. Okay. And I was curious to know whether your producer or your research guys had asked the city of Ottawa for a statement on how many trucks they, they had down to be. Well, well I, and I don't know the exact number. And I'm speaking to Dean French. I know because I was there watching some trucks reposition along Wellington. Folks, if you're listening across the country, Wellington is the, the street that literally runs right after the front lawn across Parliament Hill. But there were dozens and dozens of trucks still positioned around um, to, the, to the east, uh, around the Rideau Centre, down to the south uh, of it, and, and to the west. So there were still lots of areas where there were trucks. And by the way, I just want to say, even though they were positioned... Even Wellington Street was still, by any definition, an illegal blockade of streets. And you know, as a former chief of staff, if I parked trucks and said, well, I'm just going to block off everything around Queen's Park for 30 days or something, even you'd be like, hey, that's not your right to block off a public street with trucks. That's still illegal, right? Agreed. Agreed. I'm not defending that. As a mediator, I didn't take sides. But I will say this, Evan, it's really important to set the the record straight because I think, you know, the whole theme of your show is, holding people to account and asking the right questions. We need to know, Canadians need to know from the Ottawa police, how many truckers, tr- trucks, rigs, big rigs move that day. I'm telling you dozens. We need a statement from the police to know. Because if you peel that back, think about it. The, cabinets, the pa- cabinet was briefed on Sunday night, right? Prime Minister, cabinet, Prime Minister Trudeau's cabinet was briefed on Sunday night. They would have had access to the letter that you just read. 
that you they know, did. It was public. They, it was they, public. They did. They did. But there's, it seems a lot of redacted stuff in there. But it seems like they, you know, the the verbiage that came out was breakthrough. Well, no, there was an agreement with one of the largest uh, cities in, in in Canada for things to happen on Monday, which they did. So here's the question, Evan. Here's the tough questions that have to be asked, Premier Trudeau. Why then? Why then did? Uh, why then did they um, not wait? Put a hold on the emergency act. Why did they not wait until after Monday was through? Because if dozens of trucks were moving, and if we were getting it out peacefully, and you've got to remember that the coordination, the law enforcement, and the truckers deserve a lot of credit for this. The coordination that had to be done, because you were there on the ground, you saw it. The coordination that had to be done, Evan, was huge, and they were working together peacefully. My concern, as I saw the rhetoric coming from the prime minister leading up to this, was that things were escalating. It was almost like the war drums were beating. And that's one of the reasons I said enough is enough. I happen to know a few people. I built up trust with Mayor Watson, even though. But, but why is it? Parties. I'm just trying to and I get this. But why is it the quote war drums are beating on the government side? What is the responsibility? Like, I'm just trying to and you're a conservative, Dean French, and I got two minutes. I'd love to have you back, Dean. But like, what you is the it. responsibility of governments when there is an illegal? Like, I understand there's been blockades all the time. But after 30 days, there's been blockades of bridges. Uh, and I know that was solved before the Emergencies Act in Windsor. But but at, at what point do governments step in and, and stand for law and order? What what? What's the problem with that? There's no, there's no, there's no problem. But, but, but Evan, we're also Canadians too. At what point do we actually, as I said in my op-ed in the National Post, well, at what point as Canadians do we listen, learn, and act? When do we stop listening to people? Like when do we start trying to learn from people? That that's that's the Canadian way. And somewhere along the lines, we lost that. This is a big. But deal. what did we? But what did we lose? Like I'm just trying to figure that out. Like we did. People like the police didn't step in. You know, these folks had a, like, even I remember Doug Ford saying, okay, we've heard your point, enough is enough, leave. Like, now you've made your point. Evan, Evan, do you really think the Emergency Act was warranted for this? I I think there should be an investigation into it, and I 100% support the investigation into the use of the Emergencies Act, but I don't know if the, even in the invocation of the Emergencies Act, whether it's legitimate or not, even justifies this kind of protest, which was so another. So here's another one. Uh, Here's another one. How much do you think those big rigs are worth, approximately? Like, you had to buy one of those big quarter of a million okay good so you imagine if the radio station or television station let you as an employee take a two hundred and fifty thousand three hundred thousand dollar okay so dean dean i gotta take a break dean come can you come back and yeah we'll come back hang on dean french Instant access to real people, real stories. The Evan Solomon Show is on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back to the show. Okay, just before the break, I was in the middle of the conversation with Dean French, the former chief of staff to the Ontario Premier, Doug Ford, who was uh, leading these back-channel negotiations in the key moments in February between the city of Ottawa and the protesters like Tamara Leach to try to negotiate some kind of movement of trucks that would take them out of uh, household areas. Um, Was this a so-called breakthrough the night before the invocation of the Emergencies Act or or not? Uh, That's the debate. The government says, you know what, it didn't really amount to much at all. uh, And we still needed the Emergencies Act. There is a legally obligated investigation into whether or not it was legitimate to call 
for the use of the Emergencies Act. The government defends it. There is a real question whether this hit that threshold or not. Dean French, who led those back-channel negotiations, has been with me, and he's good enough to stay. Dean, thank you for being here. My pleasure. I know we're up against the clock, Evan, so uh, if you want to uh, chat a little bit more. No, let, let, let's, is, let, I think I've got some time. So. I'm trying to buy sure. us some time okay. because you and I, uh, you okay. know, we like a full discussion. Uh, so just before it. the break, you, you said the key question was, was this tentative agreement to between the truck convoy protesters and the city of Ottawa to, to try to move some rigs. And you're right, Dean, a bunch of rigs did move onto Wellington. Was that enough to um, mean that, yeah, that's an imminent breakthrough, no need to invoke the Emergencies Act? You're, you're saying yes, that it, that it did show there was cooperation. Is that right? History will show that there was cooperation, coordination, and history will show that dozens of trucks left. Not all of them went up to Wellington. A lot of them went off off-site. The idea was to get the trucks out of the residential areas, phase number one. And in my mind, phase two was get off of Wellington. But first things first, Mayor Watson was going to sit down and be the first politician to be respectful enough. I was trying to make this point, be respectful enough to the mostly business owners that were there when we talked about the, how much these rigs cost. And I was trying to make the point, do you think the radio station will, will let you take $300,000 of equipment for three weeks and sit out? On protest? No, these were these were business owners fighting for their economic freedom. That's a story the media has missed big time, and that's going to come out in the inquiry. These were a lot of hardworking business owners that that were when I was cleaning the cornflakes boxes off because I didn't know what was going on with COVID, and we were so concerned during the first six weeks weeks of COVID. These were the guys that were keeping the supply. Uh, well, they, going well, to be fair, and they were some of them. Uh, you know. The people that were on the unvaccinated truckers that didn't like the the, the mandates for cross border mandates with both both the U.S. and Canada had represented about less than ten percent of truckers. So ninety percent of truckers were still delivering you those boxes of cornflakes. Now, and some of these truckers came to Ottawa. Some of them went on to the bridges and and they did it. And they had a protest. There is a there is a protected right to peacefully protest in Canada. I guess my question to you, as someone who's a former chief of staff, is we you don't like the government, can you park your truck and block, uh, you know, basically, by the way, shut down businesses, all the small business owners who I saw in Ottawa that also lost tons of business for a month because of the truckers, their businesses were shut down because of this. Is there a right to park your giant rigs on a public street, block it off, honk horns and do all those things, start fires, take over things, um, is there a right or should the law enforcement say, sorry, we're not negotiating with you because you've decided to do something that is, and again, I'm using the premier of the province, illegal occupation. That's what Doug Ford called it. That's what the prime minister called it. That's what the mayor called it, an illegal occupation. Actually, I thought you were just using Prime Minister Trudeau's talking points, buddy. <laughs> no, well, no, I'm, but, I'm just, but you know that. Like, like, listen, I'm not carrying water for anyone, but I'm well, just I'm using what, either. that's I, three I, levels okay, of government. I, I, Right. In order to mediate this, you have to, you know, you had to be down the middle, right? But here, I can tell you what I was hearing from the truckers. You want to talk about the law. Let's use a really basic one. I was hearing from the truckers that their own government, their own government was violating the charter rights and freedoms. And the easiest example might not keep a lot of people up at night, but it's breaking the law. Mobility rights. Where in our constitution, these truckers were saying to me, can you have a maritime bubble? Where, where, where does it say that? These are the things that if you would have listened to, not you, these are the things that if Prime Minister Trudeau would have listened to the truckers, he would have picked up on. So it's okay for you to break mobility rights, Mr. Prime Minister and Premiers, 
It's okay for you to do that, but you're going to be all over us for this. These are the things I listened, learned, and learned from the truckers, These biz- primarily business owners. So, but but hold, but hold on a second, and, and, and I'm speaking to Dean French. These are legitimate questions, by the way. The constitutionality of, of business, of, of mobility rights, is very key. And I understand there's legal questions, but I think what we also have to not forget, and we, held, we asked this, and I asked Bill Blair and Marco Mendicino, and I grilled them, and it's all on tape. Uh, we, you, you can watch it, whether this meets the threshold and how they're using the law and any infringement on civil liberties is very genuine. I have no problem right. holding so, both so, sides so, to so account. Uh, but but we guys, were in a pandemic. Guys, yeah. We were yeah. in a pandemic. We did have, and Tamara Litch and all those, Leach and all those folks, remember— before they took down that memorandum of understanding, and you know this, that stuff was they were collecting money and they were supporting something that talked about we're going to be a, you know, and I read that memorandum of understanding before they realized it was insane and, and a liability. They were talking Agreed. about negotiating with the unelected yeah. Senate and that Agreed. stuff was that, way that, out of line. Look, look, and you and I both know, though, that there was different factions and different groups agreed way out of line, way out of line. But what we can't get away from is, does the end justify the means? What, what defines a pandemic? And, and definitely we had one. What defines that? And does that allow us to all of a sudden break our own? Every, as you talk about being chief of staff, every decision you make, every recommendation you make to a premier or, or a prime minister has to start and end with the rule of law. Why not have former Premier Peckford, who's a constitutional expert on? You want to talk about Bill Blair and you want to talk about the other cabinet ministers? The biggest lie out there was that the GoFundMe was being funded by outside-of-the-country organizations. The facts in the House, you know this already, 88% of that money that was in GoFundMe came from Canadians. That was, that was a number one play that was, that was pushed, and that you guys have done a great job covering that. That, that part, I like. I'm also, but I was also concerned about, now we get back to the Cabinet Minister that said the police were asking for the War Measures Act. You've also done a great job with reporting that, not to anyone's knowledge, the single police force, the RCMP, the OPP, but, of the city of Ottawa. And I, and I get that, and, I, and I've covered that. Hold the government to account for But, but, that but I know, I, listen, I've spoken to the, chief, the head of the Ottawa police who said, we, you know, we didn't request it. Did we need it? Was it necessary in the end? Yes. Now, I don't know in the end if it's justified. I think this is a really important principle. But let's be clear here. There is a built-in mechanism when the Emergencies Act was evoked for the first time in Canadian history that there is now a public inquiry as to whether or not it was justified. And I will say this after finally the government has opened Sir Justice Rouleau, who's overseeing this, the fact that all those cabinet documents will be made available. This stuff is coming, but we can't confuse two different things. One, the the use of the Emergencies Act, and two, whether or not this protest was in the middle of a, 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 a a pandemic is a justified way to act when you don't like the government. And it's peaceful protest is different than an illegal occupation. And that's, I think, the line here. But I will say this, and now we are at the end of our time, D. French. This debate <laughs> that we're having and this awesome discussion time. that we're having and, and the discussion we have to have with ministers, and we've got to keep having it because I think the one thing is we've got to be open we got to be transparent and we got to be willing, as you've done and coming on here, to have these discussions fairly and openly. And we got to listen to each other and people got to uh, think for themselves on this. Dean French, you're always welcome back. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Next time we do it over a beer, Evan. Thanks a lot. As, hey, as always. Talk. Listen, a beer is always welcome. Uh, thanks, folks. See you tomorrow.